Zarathustra, Part 2 Translated by Wes Cecil Illustrations by Axel Void Long slept Zarathustra, and not only the dawn passed over his face, but also the mid-morning. Finally, however, his eyes opened. Amazed, he saw the forest and the silence. Amazed, he looked into himself. Then he rose quickly, like a seafarer who suddenly sees land, rejoicing, for he saw a new truth, and thus he spoke to his heart. <clears throat> a light has shone for me, companions I need, living ones, not dead companions and corpses that I carry with me wherever I want, but living companions I need, who follow me because they would follow themselves, and hence follow where I want. A light has dawned for me, not to the people, speak Zarathustra, rather to companions. Zarathustra should not become a shepherd and a sheepdog to a herd. To lure many from the herd, that is why I come. The herd and the people will be angry with me. Zarathustra wants to be called a robber by the shepherd. Shepherd, I say, but they call themselves the good and the upright. Shepherd, I say, but they call themselves the faithful and true believers. Behold the good and the upright. Whom do they hate the most? The breaker of their table of values, the breaker, the law-breaker, but this is also the creator. Behold the believers of all faiths. Whom do they hate the most? The breaker of their table of values, the breaker, the law-breaker, but this is also the creator. Companion the creator seeks, and not corpses, and also not herds or believers. Fellow creator seeks the creator, those who would inscribe new values on new tables. Companions seek the creator and fellow harvesters, for everything with him is ripe for harvest. But he, the lack of a hundred sickles, so he, he picks ears of corn and is much annoyed. Companions seek the creator and such as know how to sharpen their sickles. Destroyers they will call them and despisers of good and evil, but they are harvesters and celebrants. Co-creators seek Zarathustra, fellow harvesters and fellow celebrants. What can he create with the herd, shepherds, and corpses? And you, my first companion, fare you well. Well, I buried you in the hollow of this tree. Well, I protected you from the wolves. But now I leave you. The time has come. Between sunrise and sunrise a new truth has come to me. No shepherd should I be, nor no gravedigger. Never again will I speak with the people. For the last time I have spoken to a dead man. The creators, the harvesters, the celebrants I will gather to me. I will show, you, show them the rainbow and the path to the overman. To the hermits I will sing my song, to the lonesome and the twosomes, and whomever has ears for the unheard, I will fill their hearts with my happiness. To my goal, goal will I go, I go my going. I spring over the hesitants and the stragglers, so that my going is their going under. So had, so had Zarathustra spoken to his heart when the sun stood at midday. Then he looked into the sky, searching, for he heard overhead the sharp cry of a bird. And look, an eagle soared in broad circles through the sky, and on him hung a serpent, not as prey, but as a friend. She wound herself tightly around his necks. It is my animals, said Zarathustra, and his heart was filled with joy. The wisest animal under the sun, and the wisest animal. They have gone out searching. They would discover if Zarathustra still lives. Truly, do I still live? More dangers I found with men than with animals. Dangerous paths travel Zarathustra. May my animals lead me. When Zarathustra had said this, he remembered the words of the holy man in the forest, sighed, and spoke to his heart. May I be more wise. May I be wise like my serpent. 
but that asks the impossible. So I ask the pride always goes with my wisdom, and if my wisdom leaves, oh, how she loves to fly away. May my pride fly away with my folly. Thus began Zarathustra's going under. Zarathustra's Speeches on the Three Transformations The three transformations of the spirit I name for you, how the spirit became a camel, and the camel a lion, and finally the lion a child. Much that is heavy is given to the spirit, for the strong and load-bearing spirit in which reverence dwells. It is the heaviest and most difficult that it desires. What is heavy? So asks the weight-bearing spirit, so it kneels down like a camel to be well-loaded. What is the heaviest, you heroes? So asks the weight-bearing spirit that it may take it on myself and be glad of my strength. Is it not so, lowering oneself in order to scourge one's pride? letting one's folly shine to mock one's wisdom? Or is it so, leaving our causes when it celebrates victory, climbing high mountains to tempt the tempter? Or is it so, feeding on acorns and grass of knowledge and for the sake of truth, suffering hunger of the soul? Or is it so, to be sick and send the caregiver home and to make friends with the deaf who never hear what you want? Or is it so, stepping in dirty waters when they are the water of truth and not being bothered by cold frogs or hot toads? Or is it so, loving those who despise us and offer our hands to the ghost that tries to frighten us? All these heaviest things the weight-bearing spirit puts upon itself, like the well-loaded camel that passes into the desert, so the spirit passes into the desert. But in the loneliest desert, the second transformation takes place. The spirit of heaviness becomes the lion who will seize its freedom and become king of its own desert. His final master he seeks here. He will become the enemy of his last god. He will wrestle for victory with the great dragon. Who is the great dragon that the spirit no longer wants to call master or god? Thou shalt is the name of the great dragon. But the spirit of the lion says, I will. Thou shalt stand in the way, shimmering golden, a scaled beast, and on every golden scale shines thou shalt. Millennial old values glitter on these scales, and thus speak the mightiest of all dragons. The value of all things shine on me. All values have already been created, and all created values, that is I. Truly, there shall be no more allowed. I will. So speaks the dragon. My brothers, why is the lion of the spirit necessary? Why is the beast of burden that renounces and is faithful not enough? To create new values, even the lion cannot do this. But to create the freedom for new creation, that is within the power of the lion. To create freedom and a holy no, even to duty. For that, my brothers, the lion is necessary. To seize the right to make new values, this is the most terrible seizing for a weight-bearing and faithful spirit. Truly, a threat it is to him, and a matter for a predatory beast. As once his most sacred love was, Thou shalt, now it must find dreams and fancies, even in the most sacred, that he might seize freedom from his love. The lion is necessary for this predation. But say, my brothers, what can the child do that even the lion cannot perform? Why must the predatory lion become a child? The child is innocence and forgetting, a new beginning, playful, a self-propelling wheel, a first movement, a sacred yes-saying. Yes, from the play of creation, my brothers, a sacred yes-saying is necessary. The spirit now wills its own will. One who leaves the world attains his own world. 
the three transformations of the spirit I name for you, how the spirit becomes a camel, the camel a lion, and finally the lion becomes a child. Thus spake Zarathustra, and at that time he was staying in a town called the Motley Cow. The Second Speech on the Chair of Virtue A wise man was praised as Zarathustra, who knew how to speak well of sleep and of virtue, for he became much honored and rewarded for this, and all the youths sat at his feet learning. So Zarathustra went to him, and with all the young men sat before him, and thus spoke the wise man. Honor and shame before sleep, this is first, and avoid all who sleep badly and are awake at night. Even the thief feels shame before sleep. He always goes softly through the night. However, the night watchman is shameless. Shameless he carries his horn. No mean art is sleeping. For instance, one must stay awake, stay awake through the entire day. Ten times a day you must overcome yourself. This creates a deep weariness and an opium for the soul. Ten times you must be reconciled with yourself. For overcoming is bitterness, and the unreconciled sleep badly. Ten truths must you find a day. Otherwise you will still be searching for truths at night, and your soul will stay hungry. Ten times a day you must laugh and be merry. Otherwise you will have bad digestion at night, that father of all troubles. Few, few know that to sleep well one must have all the virtues. Shall I bear false witness? Shall I commit adultery? Shall I covet my neighbor's maid? All this would not go well with good sleep. Even if one has all the virtues, one must understand one more thing. Even these virtues should be put to sleep at the right time, so that they will not argue with each other, those lovely girls, and over you, you miserable one. Peace with God and your neighbors, so wills good sleep. And peace also with your neighbor's devil, or else he will haunt you by night. Honor authority and obey them, even crooked authority, so wills good sleep. What is it to me if power likes to walk around on crooked legs? To me, the best shepherd is the one who leads his sheep to the greenest pastures, so it goes with the deepest sleep. I want neither many honors nor great, great wealth, for that inflames the spleen, but one sleeps badly without good name and modest wealth. The company of a few is more welcome to me than a bad crowd. Still, they must know to come and go at the right time. That also goes well with the deepest sleep. Very, very agreeable to me are the poor in spirit. They promote sleep. Blessed are they, particularly if one always can see that they are right. So passes the day of the virtuous. And now night comes. I am careful not to summon sleep, for deepest sleep will not be summoned, the Lord of virtues. Rather, I ponder what I have done and thought during the day. Ruminating, patient as a cow, I ask myself, what have been my ten overcomings? And what have been my ten reconciliations, and the ten truths, and the ten laughters with which my heart was gladdened? Weighing such thoughts and rocking the cradle of my recollections, I am suddenly overwhelmed by sleep, the unsummoned lord of the virtuous. Sleep touches me in the eye, and they grow heavy. Sleep touches my mouth, it stays open. Truly, on soft feet he comes to me, this dearest thief, and steals my thoughts from me. Dumb I stand like this chair. But not for long do I stand, I am already lying down. When Zarathustra heard the wise man speak thus, he laughed in his heart, because a light had dawned for him, and he spoke thus to his heart. What a fool is this wise man with his forty thoughts! But I think he well understands how to sleep. Blessed is he who lives near this wise man. Such a sleep as this is infectious, even through a thick wall. 
There is even magic in his professorial chair, and not for nothing have young men sat before this preacher of virtue. His wisdom is this, waking is good for sleeping. And truly, if life had no sense, and I had to choose nonsense, then I would choose this most sensible nonsense. Now I see it clearly, what once all people sought when they searched for a teacher of virtue. Good sleep was sought, and opiate virtues as well. For all these famous wise men and the professional chairs of wisdom was sleep without dreaming. They had no better sense of life. And even today there are still a few like these, like this preacher of virtue, and not all so honest. But their time is done, and not much longer will they stand. They are already lying down. Blessed are the sleepyheads, for they will soon drop off. Thus spake Zarathustra. Speech 3. On Believers in the Afterworld Once Zarathustra also cast his delusion beyond the human, like all those who believe in an afterworld. The world appeared to me as the work of a suffering and tortured god. A dream the world appeared to me then, the tale of a god, colored smoke before the eyes of a divine malcontent. Good and evil and joy and pain and I and you, to me they appeared as colored smoke before a creative eyes. The creator wanted to look away from himself, so he created the world. Drunken pleasure it is for the sufferer to look away from his suffering and forget his suffering. Drunken pleasure and self-forgetting the world once seemed to me. This world, eternally imperfect, the image of an eternal contradiction, an imperfect picture, a drunken pleasure for its imperfect creator, thus the world once appeared to me. Thus I once cast my delusion beyond the human like all the believers in an afterworld, beyond the human indeed. Ah, brothers, this God which I created was man-made in madness, like all gods. Man he was, and only a poor version of man and the I. From my own ashes and blaze it came to me, this ghost, and truly it did not come from the beyond. What happened, my brothers? I overcame myself as a sufferer. I carried my own ashes to the mountains, and a brighter flame I made for myself. And behold, the ghost fled from me. Suffering it would be for me now, and torture for one who has recovered to believe in such a ghost. Suffering it would be for me now, and humiliation. Thus I speak to those who would believe in the afterworld. Suffering is and was debilitating. This is what creates all the afterworlds, and that brief mad joy that only the greatest sufferers achieve. Weariness that wants, in a single leap, to reach the ultimate, with one fatal leap, a poor, ignorant weariness that did not want to will any more. This is what created all gods and all afterwards. Believe me, my brothers, it was the body that despaired of the body, and with fingers of deluded spirits touched the ultimate wall. Believe me, my brothers, it was the body that despaired of the earth. It heard the stomach of being talk to it. And it wanted to break through the ultimate wall with its head, and not only its head, to that other world. But the other world is well hidden from men, that humanless, inhuman world that is a heavy nothing. And the stomach of being does not speak to men except as humans. Truly, it is hard to prove all being and all and difficult to get it to speak. Tell me, my brothers, is not the strangest of all things not also the best explained? Yes, this I and this I's contradictions and confusions speak mostly of its being, this creating, willing, and valuing I that is the measure of the worth of all things. And this most honest being, this I that speaks of the body and still wants the body, even when it versifies and dreams with fluttering, broken wings. 
Ever more honestly it learns to speak, this I, and the more it learns, just so the more it finds the words and honors for the body and the earth. A new pride my eye taught me that I teach to men, no more to bury your head in the sand of heavenly things, rather to carry it freely, this earth head, that creates an earth sense. A new will I teach man, to will the path that man has blindly followed, to call it good and no longer slink away from it like the sick and the dying. It was the sick and the dying who despised the body and the earth and invented the heavenly salvation in drops of blood. Yet even these sweet and dreary poisons they took from the body and the earth. From their misery they wanted to escape, and the stars were far away from them. They sighed. If only there were heavenly paths on which to slink to other ways of being and happiness. And so they made their deceptions and potions of blood. From their bodies and the earth they wished to be transported, these thankless ones. Still, to what did they owe their spasms and raptures and transports? Their bodies and this earth. Gentle is Zarathustra with the sick. Truly, he does not rage against their methods of comfort and ingratitude. May they become recoverers and overcomers and create higher bodies for themselves. Nor is Zarathustra upset with the recoverer when he tenderly gazes upon his illusions and at midnight sneaks around the graves of his gods. Still sickness and is a sick body, his tears seem to me. There has always been many sick people amongst the poets and the god-devout. They powerfully hate one who understands the youngest of all virtues, which is called honesty. They gaze ever backwards towards dark ages. Then truly delusion and faith were a different thing. Then frenzied reason was godliness, and doubt was a sin. All too well I know these godly ones. They want to be believed, and that doubt should be a sin. All too well I know also what they want themselves believed in the most. Truly, not in afterworlds or in redemptive drops of blood. Rather, in the body they have the most faith, and their own body is reality itself. However sickly thing it is to them, and glad they would be to escape from their own flesh. Therefore they listen to the preachers of death, and themselves preach of afterworld. Listen well, my brothers, to the voice of a healthy body. It is a purer and more honest voice. More honestly and purely speaks the healthy body, being complete and well-formed, and it speaks of a sense of the earth. Thus spake Zarathustra. Speech 4. On the Despisers of the Body To the despisers of the body will now say a word. Not that I would have them learn or teach differently. Rather, say farewell to their own bodies and thus become mute. I am body and soul, so says the child. And why should one not speak as a child? But the awakened, the wise say, Body am I through and through and nothing else. The soul is only a word for an aspect of the body. The body is a great understanding, a multitude with one sense, a war and peace, a herd and a herdsman. Your small reason is an instrument of your body, my brothers, that you call spirit, a small tool and a plaything of a greater understanding. I, you say, and are proud of this word, but the greater thing, in which you do not want to believe, the body and its great understanding, you say I, but the body does I. What the senses feel, what the spirit knows, that is never an end in itself, but the sense and the spirit would like to convince you they are the end of all things. That is how vain they are. The senses and the spirit are work and play. Behind them still lies the self. The self also seeks with eyes of the senses. It also hears with the ears of the spirit. 
Always the self listens and seeks. It compares, compels, conquers, and destroys. It rules and is also the ruler of the eye. Behind your thoughts and feelings, my brothers, stands a mighty ruler, an unknown sage, called the self. In the body he lives, he is your body. There is more understanding in your body than in the best wisdom, and who knows for what end your body needs exactly your best wisdom. Yourself laughs at your eye and its powerful leaps. What these leaps and flights have thought to me, it says to itself, a detour to my goal, I hold the reins in the eye and the direction of its conceptions. The self says to the eye, now feel pain, and it suffers and thinks how it might suffer no more, and that is just how it should think. The self says to the eye, now feel pleasure, and then it is happy and thinks how to be happy again, just as it is supposed to think. To the despisers of the body will I say a word. They create their respect from their despising. What is it that creates respecting and despising and valuing and willing? The creative creating self-created from itself respecting and despising. It created pleasure and woe. The creating body creates spirits for itself as a hand of its will. Even in your folly and despising, you despisers of the body, you are serving yourself. I say to you, yourself itself wants to die and to turn away from life. No longer can it do what it most loves, to create beyond itself. That is what it most loves. This is the greatest longing. But it has become too late for that. So yourself wants to go under, you despisers of the body. Yourself wants to go under and thus you become despisers of the body, since you can no longer create beyond yourself. And so you are now angry with the life and the earth. An unconscious envy lurks in the squint of your despising. I do not follow your path, you despiser of the body. You are for me no bridge to the overman. Thus spake Zarathustra.